Have you ever witnessed something so amazing that you wondered if it actually happened? Well, we are so glad that you've decided to join us today because this series on the Book of Acts is loaded with miraculous stories that may get you thinking, could God really do that? Be assured, God can. So listen in as we bear witness to how God empowers all of us to be his messengers of the good news. Here is Sean Smith. Well, over this past week, I've been thinking a lot about our students. I want to say welcome home. We're so glad that you're back. But one of the reasons I've been thinking about you is when I was in college, I came home for a break one year, and we had a new minister. And it was a little bit strange and odd in a lot of ways. It felt like that our family had adopted a, a new dog, but it wasn't a puppy. It was a 14-year-old mutt from the pound. You kind of knew that you were stuck with this, but you weren't sure how you felt about it. And I imagine there are some of you who are feeling that way about me. You don't know me. You're wondering what I'm all about. I want you to know that I look forward to getting to know you. And if there's anything that I can do to encourage you, uh, to just spend time with you, I'd love to have that opportunity. I think about that minister uh, that came to be a part of our church and what an influence he was on my life and how gracious he was to me. And I'd love to have the opportunity to pass that on to few of you. And so if you'd be interested in grabbing coffee or maybe lunch while you're home this summer, I'd love to do that with you if you have the time. We also have an event coming up, especially for you. It's a worship experience in just a few weeks entitled The Living Room. We hope that you'll be a part of that. Come out and participate in that great evening of praise. Well, while we say welcome to our college students this morning, we also say goodbye. Unfortunately, we're saying goodbye to Gail Sinclair and Anita Johnson. They're getting ready to move to Vancouver, Washington after spending years and years at the Campbell Church and having a great impact on this place. I'm going to miss Gail. She has provided tremendous leadership with our food distribution team. Just appreciate her humble spirit and her care for this community. Uh, Gail, please know that we will miss you. We love you and we're praying for you. I'm also going to miss her mom, Anita. Uh, over the past several weeks, Anita has called me periodically. Uh, she is a woman with tremendous insight. She challenges me in my faith, makes me think about new thoughts about what it means to follow Jesus. She's been a tremendous encouragement, and I'm extremely disappointed that she's not going to be around for many more years. But Anita, I know you're going to be a blessing to the church in Vancouver. We wish you the very best, and thank you for your influence on this place, but Godspeed to you as well. Well, this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled Witness, we return to a city that we visited just a few weeks ago, the city of Antioch. In a, in a large seaport city, it drew people from far and wide. It was a multi-ethnic, multicultural community that offered a host of gods to worship, riches to envy, arts and entertainment to enjoy, and one's sexual appetite, it can be, indul it can be indulged. It was one of those what happens here stays here type of cities. To be a follower of Jesus in this, com this community, Antioch, it was not easy. That would be an understatement that those who were, they did so in a remarkable way, just lived out their faith for Jesus Christ. In fact, this wild and crazy city in due time, it became a leader second only to the city of Jerusalem for the Christian faith. In Acts chapter 11, 
Uh, Luke tells us about the birth of this great church, but then in Acts chapter 13, he returns to what is now a four-year-old city that is being used in a powerful way for the work of God. In fact, they not only impacted their own, own city, but their impact, it stretched well beyond their own borders. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. That's a fairly brief and seemingly nondescript statement, isn't it? Well, it certainly appears so at first glance, but truly it shines a light on why the church in Antioch was able to do so much good both locally and regionally for the kingdom of God. And I believe one of the primary reasons is because the church at Antioch, it mirrored the diversity of the city in which it was located. Church growth experts will tell you that it's much easier to grow a church numerically if you'll target those individuals who are cut out of the same cloth. Those individuals who look alike, dress alike, think alike, vote alike, like to worship in the exact same way. But our desire goes way beyond growing numerically. We desire to be a church that reflects the diversity of God's beautiful kingdom, a kingdom that's made up of different nationalities, races, ethnicities, and languages. And in a multicultural community, this provides a powerful witness to the power of Jesus Christ. For those in Antioch that were not aware of the living God, I have to believe that it was seeing Jews and Gentiles worshiping and doing life together that created, an, created a curiosity, even an openness to the gospel. It makes a huge difference. What power could people who typically did not associate with each other to behave as family? No other God in their city could pull that off, and I've yet to see anything in our particular culture that has that power as well. And in a society where there is this growing divide culturally and between races, it is a multi-ethnic church that witnesses powerfully to the power of Jesus Christ. Notice in this text, we see the diversity of the Antioch church reflected in its leadership team. Uh, this wasn't a group of good old boys who grew up going to the same synagogue, swimming at the same swimming hole, and graduating from the same high school who were making decisions for the church. They were incredibly diverse. Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. It is widely believed that Simeon was a black African. I believe that this is the same man who carried the cross of Jesus. Lucius, well, he was a Roman from Cyrene in North Africa. Manian, he was an individual who was maybe a foster brother, if not a very good friend of Herod Antipas. And Saul, well, he grew up in Cilicia in Southeast Asia Minor. Prior to converting to Christianity, he was a leader among the Pharisees. A diverse group of people, and I'm sure the diversity of those in the leadership team made decision-making a little more complicated. But I also have to believe that one of the reasons the church flourished is because of the large collection of varied, view, varied viewpoints 
that we're represented. And I'm convinced that the same holds true for the church today. What does that mean for us practically? Well, first, let's pray that God will raise up people from the different ethnicities represented in this church to serve as shepherds. Now, I believe, believe this because I've heard this from more than one of our current shepherds. There has long been the desire for there to be greater diversity among the leadership here at Campbell. The challenge is finding people who are qualified and also have the heart to serve as a shepherd. Because of the obligations, responsibilities, and sacrifices that are required in this particular leadership role, many people are quick to say, no, thank you. They don't have that particular desire. And so let's join together as a faith family and let's pray that God will raise up other people from different backgrounds and races and nations who will decide to be a part of the leadership team. Now, second, for those of you who do desire to serve in leadership, I want to encourage you to do everything you can to develop as a spiritual leader. There are a lot of different ways that you can do that, but I believe one of the primary or the best ways to do that is in our home group ministry. Being a home group leader is a wonderful teaching and training ground for how to shepherd people. If a home group is functioning well, then struggles are shared. Uh, conflict is addressed, sin is confessed, uh, grief is expressed, and victories are celebrated. Serving in this particular ca capacity, it gives you the opportunity to learn how to care for and shepherd people spiritually. We'd love nothing more than for a greater variety of people to serve in this particular capacity. Now, our current home group season, it's coming to an end at the end of this month, but a new season will begin in August. And if you'd be interested in serving in this particular capacity, please reach out to the Schraders or myself and let us know, and we'll make sure that you're ready to go once August hits. The leadership in the Antioch Church was incredibly diverse, but more importantly, those who served in leadership were deeply spiritual people. Say, so how do you know that? Well, Luke makes it a point to mention that they worship, prayed, and fasted together. This was a group of people that were not so busy doing the work of the church that they were now overlooking the one that they were doing ministry for. One of the reasons that we send out a prayer and fasting guide every single month is because we don't want that to happen here. We believe that our ability to do good in our community and throughout the world, it flows out of our personal and corporate connection and reverence for God. Now, if you're not receiving one of those monthly prayer and fasting guides, I want to encourage you to sign up this morning to receive that guide. You'll notice in the chat window at this time that there is a link that you can go to, or you can go back to the Friday email and find a link there. But we want to make sure that you receive the guide. One of our desires is to make sure that every single person is a part of the Campbell crew. Now, this isn't required. We simply hope that you'll be a part of this team. This is a team that commits to fasting and praying at least once every month for this church. If you're receiving that particular prayer guide, made that commitment, but maybe you've grown lax in your commitment, I wanna encourage you to re-up your commitment this morning and to begin to pray and fast on your particular day during the month. Let's remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It was a little over a year ago that I began to sense that it might be time for me to make a transition in ministry. 
I was in no particular hurry because I loved the church that I was at, especially because of the diverse number of people that were represented in that congregation. But I did begin to ask family members and a few friends to join me in prayer. Many of those individuals asked what they could pray specifically about, and this is what I told them. I asked that they pray that if God made the decision for me to move to a new location, that I would be at a church where I was surrounded by deeply spiritual leaders. Eight months into this new church, I can tell you that God answered that prayer beyond my wildest dreams. I have never served with a group of ministers and elders as spiritual as those that I'm serving with right now. That, that's no criticism of past people or places, but the way that this leadership team seeks the heart of God, it humbles and convicts me. I've never seen a leadership team spend as much time in prayer as your elders do at the Campbell Church. I consistently see them go to the text to make decisions about what we should do and be about as a church family. I've seen men cry over people in this church, and I've listened to some of these individuals have struggles in their own life. Now listen, I wouldn't tell you this if it were not true. This particular point, I have no reason to suck up. I've already moved into the new house. It's gonna take an army to get me out of that place. And so I, I'm good. I'm telling you this because it's what I truly see and I believe. In all seriousness, there are going to be times that they make decisions that you don't particularly agree with. That's probably happened over the past few years. And there are gonna be moments when they don't say the right thing or maybe they don't say something that they should say. There may be moments that they rub you the wrong way, but I hope you'll trust me that the love that they have for you and God is real and it's deep. If you don't believe me, let me encourage you to spend some time with these men and their wives. Through the years, one of the complaints that I've often heard from church members is that they don't really know the shepherds, and that's legit. Leaders should take the initiative to know their members, but at the same time, what's not legit is this expectation that it falls completely upon leaders. Yes, they take the initiative, but they have so many responsibilities and the people to keep up with that it can become very, very difficult. I wanna ask you to be a partner with your ministers and your elders. If you have a desire to know and be known by your shepherds, then reach out to them. Ask them to go to lunch or join you for coffee. Invite them into your home. Share with them what they can pray about for you and ask what you might be praying about for them. And I truly believe that if you'll spend some time with these individuals, just sharing life, talking about faith, praying together, that it's going to become evident to you that these individuals, they have a heart for God and for this church that burns hot. They truly do. Back to the leaders in Antioch, because they were seeking God through worship and prayer and fasting, they were able to hear from God. We read in verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. When they heard from the Holy Spirit, how did they respond? Well, we keep reading in verse three. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Do you think that was easy for these leaders to make the decision to send these two men to a new location? There's no possible way. In fact, I have a hunch that some, 
some feedback that maybe wasn't exactly positive from their fellow church members, maybe some criticism and some complaints. I have no evidence of this. It's just a gut feeling based on experience in church work. But I imagine there were some comments that sounded a little bit like this. Hey, elders, what, what in the world are you thinking? How could you send away our very best Bible class teacher? I mean, Lucius is, is okay, but he's no Saul. And why would you do this? We're on the verge of growing to be a bigger church than the church in Jerusalem. And then you go and make a goofy decision like this one. And what's going through your mind sending away Barnabas? He is the heart and soul of this congregation. He encourages every single person that he comes into contact with. And then you go and do something like this. You've got to be kidding me. Now, whether they did or didn't hear those types of comments, one thing is very evident that they were absolutely convicted to following the marching orders of the Holy Spirit. That is absolutely key to being a church that flourishes. All through Luke's writings of the book of Acts, we are reminded time and time again that it is the Holy Spirit that leads and empowers the church to do the work of the kingdom of God. And nothing will slow a church down quicker than making decisions that are based on opinion, on personal desire, on preference, on tradition. We must be a people who follow the clear leading of the Holy Spirit. And please know that when the Holy Spirit leads us, he's always going to lead us into the mission that we've been given by Jesus Christ. And what is that mission? You know it well, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Our mission collectively, individually, is to help people move from lost to found and from found to fully formed in Jesus Christ. This is the mission. We must not be distracted from this mission. It's easy to do at times, but if the church doesn't share the gospel, who will? If the church doesn't tell the community about the goodness of Jesus Christ, who will? If the church loses its heart for people that are far from God, who will care about those people? The world doesn't have hope unless it is for the church doing the mission that it's been given to do. This is what we must be about, evangelism and discipleship, make more and better disciples. It was on mission that the Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and, on, and Saul. And on this journey, Saul and Barnabas had the opportunity to travel to at least nine different places. And in those places, they shared the gospel. They planted churches. They appointed leadership. They encouraged believers. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, we read these words, on arriving there, where? Well, back in Antioch, they've what they've done. They gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. The gospel spread because the Antioch church and people like Saul and Barnabas were willing to obey the Holy Spirit even when it meant great sacrifice. The sacrifice of time and energy and finances and even one's own well-being. In Acts chapter 2, or I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, Paul gives a brief recounting of some of the hardships he encountered in these gospel-sharing journeys. He writes this, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Why would he go through that? He went through that because the mission mattered most. It mattered more than his own comfort, his own personal desires, his own well-being. It doesn't matter that much to us. I hope so. Because God has called the church to be a movement. But when the church loses sight of its mission, it becomes a monument. It completely stalls. It's not hard to identify who truly wants to be a movement and who doesn't. Movement Christians, they talk about the future. Monument Christians, they constantly retell stories about the past. Movement Christians anticipate change. Monument Christians, they fight against change. Movement Christians, they're willing to step into the unknown. Monument Christians, well, they're just trying to protect the status quo. We must be a movement for the sake of our community and for the sake of this world. We must be a people who are about the mission. If you're living on mission, then keep after it. Keep going. Do what you're doing. If you kind of fall in off mission, then I want to encourage you this morning to get back on mission. Do what Jesus has called you to do. Evangelize and disciple people. Let people know the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you've never been on mission, then consider this your invitation. God invites you to live on mission with him. If you're not exactly sure who you're supposed to reach out to this week, then I want to encourage you to lean into God. Worship, pray, fast, and listen. I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit will direct you. And as we grow as a group in our obedience to the Holy Spirit, I have every confidence in the world that we will be a church that flourishes. May this message serve as a reminder that for God, nothing is impossible. He empowers us to be his witness every day. If you have any questions about what being his witness means, if you have any prayer requests or would like to share your faith story with us, please email us at podcast at campbellchurch.org. Again, thank you for joining us here at Intersections Podcast, where faith and life collide.